This might make China's leaders believe that they could get away with an invasion of Taiwan. America might then, as, as I think it would in this situation, come to the aid of Taiwan. And before you know it, you've got a war between two very, very capable nuclear powers. Welcome to another episode of America Explained, the podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy and culture to an international audience. Welcome to another episode of America Explained. I had hoped this week to bring you an interview, a discussion about voter suppression in the US, particularly off the back of the new law that was just passed in Georgia, making it much harder for people to vote and potentially politicizing the conduct of elections to allow Republicans in the future to try to mess with the results on the basis of false claims of fraud like those that they made in 2020. Fortunately, my guest had to drop out at the last minute, so that interview is coming up in two weeks' time instead. So in this episode, it's going to be another monologue episode just like the last one. I'm going to be talking about Biden's foreign policy, and particularly his foreign policy towards undemocratic and illiberal regimes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. And remember, if you like America Explained, please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us get the word out, and so other people can discover the podcast and give it a listen. All right, so as I said, I'm going to talk today about the Biden administration and its relations with undemocratic and illiberal regimes and and what we can expect from the administration in that area. There's a couple of reasons why I think this is an interesting topic that's worth talking about. So the first is that it's always going to be an issue for democracies to decide how they interact with authoritarian regimes, and it often raises all kinds of moral and ethical problems. But actually, this problem is becoming even more acute over time as democracy declines around the world. So more countries are slipping from being classed as democracies into being classed as autocracies. We're seeing that even the US itself has been downgraded in some global democracy indexes in recent years. So this is a really, really big problem at the moment. Authoritarianism seems to be on the march and democracies have to decide how to respond to that. The second reason this is interesting is because the last president, as you may have noticed, was kind of partial towards dictators and very critical of Democrats, of democracies. So, you know, he famously was most critical of America's closest, most democratic allies, people like Angela Merkel, Theresa May, Emmanuel Macron. And he was really, really kind of almost pathetic in his adoration of figures like Vladimir Putin and there was always this sense that he wanted to be more like a dictator. He wanted to be able to run America more like Vladimir Putin could run Russia. That was a very unusual thing in American foreign policy as I discussed in a previous episode, one of my favorites on the podcast with Hilda Restat where we talked about American exceptionalism. The fact that Trump didn't see himself as a guardian of America's democratic tradition and as that of something that was worth protecting made him a very unusual president. But now we have good old Joe Biden, who's kind of the most usual mainstream president that we could imagine. So it's going to be interesting to see now how he deals with this global march of authoritarianism. And that brings me to my third point about why this is interesting, which is that the Biden administration has indeed already put democracy and democracy promotion at the center of its foreign policy, at least rhetorically. So the administration said that it's going to hold a global summit of democracies. We're kind of unsure how that's going to work exactly. And it's, it's going to be a bit difficult to decide who gets left on or off the invite list for that event. And a lot of people are questioning how that's going to work. 
but we're going to have this global summit of democracies anyway, apparently, whatever that means. And Biden's also talked a lot about how he sees that there's now a global battle between democracy and authoritarianism. So in his first press conference the other day, he said this about relations with China, that he sees not just two great powers that have separate interests, but he sees two different ideologies, two system, two different ideas of how humanity should deal with contemporary problems and the problems of the future. And he really wants to show that democracy is capable of thriving in today's world. That kind of leads, though, to the question, well, if the administration is going to place so much emphasis on democracy promotion, even though the ways that they're going to do that are still quite vague, what consequences does this, does this have for America's relations with autocracies? So when we look at the world's non-democratic regimes, we see a tremendous variety, and I think it's useful to break down this topic and look instead at different regions of the world but just to say a few things up front about this topic, you know, the first thing is that countries don't get to pick and choose the domestic ideology of their diplomatic partners. Various undemocratic governments are always going to be key to American interests and addressing American concerns in the world. So America's always going to have to deal with non-democratic regimes. You can't talk about Middle Eastern security without talking about Turkey and Iran, for instance. You can't talk about the global economy or climate change or actually increasingly any other question in international politics without talking about China. This need to continue to engage with autocracies and, and work with them when America's interests demand it complicates right from the beginning Biden's desire to emphasize relations with democracies because he's always going to have to deal with them and that's always going to involve the sorts of compromises, has indeed already involved the sorts of compromises that make some of his supporters nervous and, and upset. It's early in the administration, so it's going to take some time for policy to take shape, but we actually do already, I think, have some pretty good indications of, of Biden's foreign policy and how it's going to deal with this question. So I'm going to get into talking about that. Starting with the Middle East, so it's clear that this administration, like its two predecessors, wants to downgrade the importance of the Middle East vis-a-vis uh, -vis East Asia specifically. So both Obama and Trump came into office talking about how they wanted to get US troops out of the region, they wanted to focus more on China, on relations with other countries in Asia, but they both kind of got sucked back in to the region because new security challenges just kept popping up, like ISIS, for instance, and this made it hard to, to withdraw from the Middle East and to downgrade it. Biden's uh, another administration that's come in right from the beginning talking about downgrading the importance of the Middle East, so... We heard early on that the National Security Council has been rearranged and the National Security Council is the president's chief foreign policy making body in the White House. And it's been re reorganized so that China is more important on the list of administration priorities. But actually, if the US is going to downgrade the importance of the Middle East, and that implies that it's going to have a reduced input of American resources and personnel in that region, that's actually going to mean that the administration is relying even more on local partners to achieve American aims. And as I think you might have famously heard, many regimes in the Middle East are undemocratic and authoritarian. So this complicates right from the beginning the Biden administration's emphasis on working with democracies. The two most important non-democratic regimes in the Middle East are Iran and Saudi Arabia. So Iran is, has been for a long time the focus of, of American policy in the Middle East. This is something that I talked about in a great previous episode with Gregory Brew, a historian of US-Iranian relations, 
Where the Biden administration is at right now uh, in terms of relations with Iran is that they want to get Tehran back into the nuclear deal. This deal that was originally reached by the Obama administration, but then that Trump walked away from. And so they want to get they want to get Tehran back in this deal, which basically means that Tehran will will stop uh, doing the things that allow for it to develop a nuclear weapon. And they've also talked about wanting to reach a further separate agreement, which will govern other aspects of Iranian behavior in the Middle East. So this might include things like prohibiting Iran from developing ballistic missile programs, trying to get Iran to draw back from its regional foreign policies, such as supporting actors like the Houthis in Yemen. Specialists tend not to really think that there's any hope whatsoever of this second agreement but it's still unclear what's going to happen with the nuclear deal and, and Tehran and Washington are currently playing chicken basically Iran says if you lift, lift the sanctions that Trump put on us then we'll talk about re-entering the deal and Washington's saying let's talk about re-entering the deal and then we might lift the sanctions. It's not really clear that this is going anywhere and even if it does you know it's important to realize that the Iranian nuclear deal was only really designed in the first place to kick the possibility of Iran getting a nuclear weapon somewhere into the future it expires eventually it's not necessarily the last word on this issue and so that means that Iran is going to remain a really important issue in American foreign policy going forward and this ongoing desire to contain Iran without committing more American resources is inevitably going to lead to an increased reliance by the US on Saudi Arabia and other Sunni Arab authoritarian regimes in the Middle East. These are the regimes that are opposed to Iran, that are opposed to its nuclear po program, opposed to its re regional foreign policy, and they're the ones that the US is going to look to to contain Iran. So at the same time, recently, that the Biden administration decided it's going to withdraw some US military military assets from Saudi Arabia. It declassified an American intelligence report which put firmly the blame for the murder of Jamal Khashoggi on the head of the ruler of Saudi Arabia, but the administration made it clear as it was doing these things that it is not severing its ties with Riyadh. And in fact, the administration is kind of quietly exploring ways to improve Riyadh's own abilities to defend itself. So basically, as US assets withdraw from the region, they're going to try to build up Saudi Arabia's own military capabilities. So this is not a foreign policy that is drawing away from engagement and working with authoritarian regimes. And that has some people, especially on the left wing of American politics, who are looking for a more fundamental break with Saudi Arabia, pretty disappointed. And, and I don't think we're going to see anything like that under the Biden administration. And while you might hear American officials under this administration talking about a desire for Saudi Arabia to become more democratic, they're certainly not going to give up on what they see as America's vital security interests in pursuit of that goal of democratizing Saudi Arabia. So this, right from the beginning, is a pretty firm indication of where the Biden administration stands in its relations with authoritarian regimes. Of course it's going to work with them when that is viewed to be in America's interests. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about the United States for an international audience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a positive review on your podcast platform.
So now let's talk about Russia. So US relations with Russia under the Trump administration were really quite complicated because on the one hand, Trump was very, very friendly with Vladimir Putin He and, and friendly towards Russia in general. He was constantly saying embarrassing and frankly dangerous things about Russia and about Vladimir Putin. So there was a famous time in Helsinki where he stood next to Vladimir Putin and said, Vladimir told me that he didn't hack the American election, and frankly, I believe him, which completely contradicted what American intelligence was telling Trump at the time. There's all of these stories, if you read the memoirs and the, the, the reportage, like the books that by people like Bob Woodward about the Trump administration, where it's really clear how much Trump wanted to be loved by Putin for some reason that I think we still don't fully understand. He obviously had a great deal of respect for Putin, really badly wanted Putin to like him. So it was clear that, that Trump had this, this strange relationship with Russia and with Putin. And so that was going on on the one hand, but then on the other hand, his administration actually took a fairly hard line towards Russia. The Trump administration put many more sanctions on Russia and on individuals in Putin's regime related to things like election interference, and related to the assassination of a former Russian official in Britain in 2018, the administration also closed a Russian consulate in Seattle and kicked out a whole bunch of Russian diplomats. So this was actually a very tense relationship and the administration was doing these things often against Trump's wishes. You know, he'd have to be talked into it and he would always insist on measures being watered down compared to what his advisors wanted doing. And this really kind of clouded and I think prevented us from seeing clearly what was a very, very sharp deterioration in that relationship under Trump. So now that we've no longer have this factor of Trump's bromance for Putin, we're just kind of left with this very tense relationship and we're wondering where we're going to go from here. And well, Biden has come into office and, and he's pretty much the first president since the end of the Cold War who hasn't come into office stating that one of his goals is to improve relations with Russia. We had these four wasted years of a president who didn't want to face up to this massive deterioration in relations which had occurred largely because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2014, and we now have a president who sees this through much clearer eyes. So we're going to have a much more coherent and visible, strong policy by the Biden administration towards Russia, much more so than we saw under Trump. And indeed, so far, the administration has been talking tough on Russia. So we're seeing the Biden administration move to put sanctions on Russia, to talk about using covert cyber capabilities to strike back at Moscow for its recent efforts and very successful efforts to break into American computer systems. This was something that we saw with the solar winds hack of last year, which was this enormous hack of Russia by Amer of American government and corporate entities. And then we also have a president who, rather than kind of shying away from embracing what his own administration is doing, he's really owning it, he's really taking control of it. So in one of his first television interviews, Biden got asked whether he considered Putin to be a killer, and he said, yes, absolutely. You might remember that when Trump was asked that same question during his administration, he responded by saying, what, do you think our country's so innocent? As if he was drawing some sort of comparison between Russian behavior and American behavior. The fact that Biden's refusing to do that, I think, shows that he's leaning really heavily into this theme of we're democratic and Russia is authoritarian and that's one of the problems here. 
So Biden's kind of returning to that old exceptionalist view of America as being a country whose behavior is is uniquely better than other countries in the world and saying that that flows from its democratic traditions. So Biden is saying Putin is a killer. He represents a regime that kills, that can't be trusted, and we're going to deal with it accordingly. And on this theme of authoritarianism, it is in fact very notable that the Biden administration has already imposed a raft of sanctions on Russian officials for the poisoning of Alexei Navalny in August of last year. And that it did so in coordination with European allies. So this shows that the admin is really seeking to sanction Russia specifically for its anti-democratic behavior. Navalny is Putin's chief domestic opponent, so to stand up for him in this way is really seen as, as, as standing up for democratic values and standing up against Putin's oppression of the opposition in his own country. And it also shows that the US, after Trump, is Again, it's providing this leadership role by bringing European countries together with it to fight against authoritarianism. So it's very notable that these sanctions weren't put on Russia under the Trump administration, and the European Union waited to see who won that presidential election last November so there could be a coordinated response. So this is a really big change from Trump, who didn't care at all, you know, often made it very, very clear that he didn't care about human rights. And he definitely wasn't about putting together a coalition of democratic countries to impose costs and to stand up to authoritarian countries. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about American politics, foreign policy, and culture for an international audience. Like it? Then tell a friend and help us grow. Finally, let's talk about China. So China is arguably America's most important bilateral relationship, and it's one that's been marked recently by really big concerns over Beijing's growing authoritarianism, including in Hong Kong and also in what the Biden administration is now calling a genocide in Xinjiang province. There's been, over the last four or five years, this huge bipartisan shift in American views of China, so it's no longer the case that that really anyone in the American foreign policy making elite believes that the way forward with China is is to have a cooperative relationship. This isn't seen as realistic anymore. Instead, it's just kind of now bipartisan common wisdom that the US relationship with China is becoming more adversarial, it's becoming more competitive. That goes for Democrats as well as Republicans, and we're seeing that in the Biden administration. There's also been this shift in China over the last four or five years where I think that the election of Trump was seen as a big sign of American decline. So the fact that someone who was so fundamentally unserious could become president of the United States was viewed in China as showing that the American political system and American global leadership were undergoing some kind of terminal decline from which they they would not recover. At the same time, Trump's trade war was really seen as a sign that America wasn't going to go down quietly, that it was going to aggressively try to stop the rise of China and to try to kind of slow down its own decline. This combination of factors where, you know, you have now a policy consensus in Washington, which sees China as pretty much 
public enemy number one in international relations, the country that poses the biggest challenges to America. And then in Beijing, you have this belief that America is declining, China's on the rise, which means that China can will be able to get away with reshaping international order much, much more, and America won't be able to stop it. But at the same time in Beijing, they do worry that America's going to not go quietly into the night and that indeed we're now approaching this moment of very, very dangerous possible confrontation as the two powers kind of shift place. So relations are now incredibly tense for these reasons. And we saw this at the initial meeting between American and Chinese officials, which took place in Alaska uh, just a couple of weeks ago. There was very little substantive progress that we know about from these meetings, but they were accompanied by both sides giving very lengthy diatribes to the cameras about how dissatisfied they were with the other side. And what this said to me was that it's become really important for both sides to be shown that they've been harsh and strong with the other in front of their own domestic public opinion. That's that's who these speeches were for, right? They talked to each other behind closed doors, but when they made these very firm, strong statements to the cameras, they were speaking to their own domestic public. And I think they did that because the public in both countries have also become very, very distrustful of one another because of things like the coronavirus, because of things like the trade war. So this relationship is just getting more and more tense all of the time. When it comes to Biden administration dealing with China as an authoritarian country and attempting to do something about this slide to authoritarianism within China, America actually has very few tools to address China's activities in Hong Kong and Shenyang and this general shift towards strongman rule that's taken place under Xi Jinping. But the US is going to be putting together a more comprehensive strategy. Trump was very, very focused on trade, and that was really the only issue that he cared about when it came to China. And he also didn't really try to put together an international coalition. So Trump came into office and launched a trade war against China and the European Union at the same time. What a smart policy would have been would be to try and get the European Union to take part in that trade war with China. And we're going to see more of this kind of thinking from the Biden administration, I think. They'll focus on a much broader set of issues, and that's going to include human rights. And they're also going to put together an international coalition to try to put pressure on China. It's going to be difficult to get all the European countries to take part in this coalition. And also the, the same goes for countries like Australia, New Zealand and Japan. They all have their own interests. Many of them have deep economic ties with China as America does itself. So the idea of putting together a coalition of democracies to contain China is a difficult one. And it's also the case that it's not just democratic countries that are important for that coalition. A country like Vietnam, for instance, which sits right on China's border, has a lot of security concerns about China, is a natural member of, of any kind of coalition that's seeking to contain China. So the Biden administration here is also going to work with authoritarian countries as well as democratic countries, even as they really place emphasis on the idea of a coalition of democracies that are containing China. I think that what's most important for the Biden administration to focus on is demonstrating to China that sane and predictable, stable policymaking is back in Washington. 
and that the US is returning to its role as leader of an international alliance which stands against Chinese aggression. So it's really important that China not believe this story that, that people there increasingly seem to be telling themselves about America's inevitable decline, because this could really lead to some kind of miscalculation, particularly over Taiwan. So if China comes to believe that America's decline is terminal, that America just isn't a factor in international relations anymore, and that, and, and that it's just going to kind of gradually recede from the scene, this might make China's leaders believe that they could get away with an invasion of Taiwan. America might then, as, as I think it would in this situation, come to the aid of Taiwan. And before you know it, you've got a war between two very, very capable nuclear powers. So I think the Biden administration, beyond it, its kind of grand plans of containment of China, the first thing on their agenda has to be just getting back to a kind of stable relationship and ultimately proving that American democracy and the American system of government, American society is still strong at home to show that America's democracy can deal with the challenges of the modern world and that Trump was in some way an aberration. But the problem goes beyond Trump because it really extends as well to this complete gridlock that we see in America and the difficulty that American politics has with really achieving anything now, much less addressing the very, very serious problems that American society has. So I think when Biden thinks about this struggle between democracy and authoritarianism, then it's actually at home that the most work remains to be done. That's all we have time for this episode. Thanks for listening to America Explained. You can contact us on producer at america-explained.com or through the America Explained Facebook page. I'm your host, Andy Gawthorpe. Designer and advisor is Janice Killian. Music by Soundwave. America Explained is an APD media production. See you next time.